If you haven't already turned to it, please turn to Psalm 19. That's going to be where we're going to be camping out. Uh, but I wanted to start off with, speaking of summer, talking about summer love, and specifically the summer of 2010. Uh, that was the, the summer that Sarah and I met. But we didn't meet in person the first time we met. We met through emails. And it was interesting because this didn't go well for me at first. Uh, specifically, when we were writing emails, we had our uh, the missionary that we were going to be going to visit because we met in Poland on a mission trip. The, the gentleman over there was writing us, and he would tell us, you know, bring this, don't bring that, do's, don'ts, all those sorts of things. And as I was scanning one of these emails one time, it came down to the, a comment on swimwear. And in the swimmer, it said, guys, remember to bring a Speedo. You have to wear a Speedo. And exactly. So I stopped and I thought, what? And so I'm re- I read it again and no, you got to wear a Speedo. So start, I get out my email writing fingers and I, and I start to write them back as politely as I could. I'm, are, are you kidding me? Like, is this, are you, are you messing with me right now? Is this a joke? Do I seriously have to wear a Speedo? Cause I'm a BC guy, right? I'm from, I'm from Vancouver Island. That's board shorts. As far as the eye can see. Speedo. But you know what I mean? Like, it's a mission trip. I thought it was supposed to be more clothes, not less clothes. And so he, he, he writes me back. And, but this time, this, it, at this point, it had been a one-on-one conversation. But at this point, he CCs everybody else on the team. There is, a, there is another guy from Ontario. There's another girl from BC. And then, of course, Sarah in Quebec. And he, he politely responds to me. But Sarah got hung up because they could see what I had said in my email. And she got a bit hung up on that because where she comes from, you don't question the missionary. Right? The missionary gives you something to say, something to do. You just, you do it. Right? And so I had a big hill to climb when we first met, the day we met, because she had all these preconceived notions of who I was. Right? She had the name, but she needed to put a face to it first. Today, if you've looked at your bulletins, you'll notice I've titled the message, Putting a Face to the Name. So switched it. And I think the re, or not I think, the reason why I've called it that is because I think that we have all experienced God, but we just may not know we've experienced God. Everyone here knows what it's like to experience God. We just may not know that it's God that we're experiencing. We need to put a name to the face. But if you're like me, this might raise a question in your mind. Because if God is is everywhere, if his revelation is, is coming out and his presence is felt, if he's experienceable at all times then why is it that sometimes we feel separated from him? Why is it that sometimes we feel apart from him if he is so accessible? A couple weeks ago when I was uh, up here, I, I shared a story about a relapse that I experienced eight years ago. And I can say that leading up to that point, I felt very far away from God. I felt very separated from him. Couldn't feel his presence. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like your connection with God was weak or not there and wondered why that was? For some of us, you could probably put it on a spectrum, I think. Like some of us, that would be heart-wrenching. We we depend on that connection. We look for it every day. And so when it starts to wane, it can be destructive in our lives. On the other end of the spectrum, perhaps we don't experience that at all. Perhaps we don't feel God 
We don't even believe he's there in the first place, so why would that impact our lives? Or maybe we're somewhere in between. So as we look at today's passage, though, as we look at Psalm 19, this is what we want to take away. Wherever we are on the spectrum, this is what we want to take away from this passage, and that's God made the world so that the world could know God. God made the world so that the world could know God. And we're going to see this in two different ways. We're going to see this from nature, and we're going to see this from the written word. So I've just made a, a few assertions, and some of you might be wondering how I'm going to be able to back that up. And the, the cool thing is, is that I don't have to. Uh, our passage itself is going to speak today. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back, and I'm going to be illustrating these truths that we are going to be able to pull out of this, and we're going to let the text do the talking. This is a beautiful, beautiful psalm. Uh, some of you may know of C.S. Lewis. He's uh, famed mostly for his time with the Chronicles of Narnia, but he was also uh, a, a literary critic. He was a don in Oxford. Incredible literary talent. A, gr- a wonderful mind. And he, his quote regarding Psalm 19 was, I take this to be the greatest, greatest poem in the Psalter. So in all the Psalms, this is the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the entire world. So that's high praise from someone who knows literary talent. So let's dive in. Throughout history, uh, the religion of belief, or, or no matter what you ascribe to personally, you will probably have come across or you know, felt it yourself or heard other people talking about it that nature calls out to them. Nature calls out to you. In some way, we experience it in a, in a wonderful way. As I mentioned, I'm from BC, and, and BC's arguably, I insert the arguably just for argument's sake, hey but uh, I insert that in there because I, I think BC is the most beautiful place in the world. And so when I go back there to visit, my heart leaps like I'm being reacquainted with an old friend. It's, it's a beautiful time to be able to do that. And I think as human beings, we all experience this, uh, or we can experience something like that with that creation. I know as a boy, I would, we had mountains behind our house, so I would go up there and explore and, and see what wonders I could find. Or I would turn around and go back down and, and go to the ocean and walk along the shores and look under rocks and, and all kinds of things, or even go under the surface and see what was there. There is beauty upon beauty to be found. This scene was from... I took this on when we were there. Uh, my house was lower than this. This was up at the ba- near the base of the mountain, and so we would drive. This, we would drive home. I would see this all the time, and I remember being a little boy and looking at that scene and thinking the trees have grown up over it a little bit, but and there was some smoke from the fires. But in the background, normally you'd be able to see the mainland, some of the mountains in the background, and then of course there's the ocean or the strait there and the islands, and, and literally the thoughts in my mind were that a master craftsman had painted that scene. That was the heart reaction that I had. The writer, when we read our text, personifies or humanizes nature. And we have to ask the question, why? Why would he do that? He he does it because he he looks at it and he sees God's glory in it. Just the same as we can see the, the characteristics or some of the personality coming out of a beautiful painting we're looking at or a sculpture or other pieces of artwork so we know that the, the painting or the, or the sculpture, the artwork, isn't the painter or the sculptor. Just as we know that the beauty we see coming out of nature, nature isn't God. 
But nature reveals aspects of God's character, reveals some of his personality. I mentioned the story of me as a boy looking at that because I noticed as I got older, I started to kind of desensitize myself towards beauty a little bit. Sure, every now and then I would I would see something beautiful and it would strike out at me and it would be incredibly enthralling, but the day-to-day stuff would become a little bit humdrum. I don't know if anybody can relate to that. So I think as we get older, sometimes we start to take the personal and treat it impersonally. We take these things that have been endowed with God's character that are there for us to discover, and we start to treat them as if it's just another thing. We don't give it its proper recognition. But this does, nature does tell us incredible things about God. I'm going to name three. Uh, The first one, well, all of them shows that he loves humanity, but the first one we're going to talk about is that he's a meticulous creator. God is a, a very conscientious, he, he loves his creation and did it very carefully. Some people would call this the fine-tuning of the universe, about how all these things fit together so well that it can only point to somebody creating it rather than it happening by chance. First of all, the distance the earth is from the moon. If the earth was any, fur- or the moon was any further away, from the moon, we know that the, the tides and everything would be thrown out of whack and, and this, the earth would become uninhabitable. Or if it was any closer, the same sort of imbalances would occur and we would be in trouble. If it was of any bigger distance further away. Or if we look at something called the gravitational constant. We talked about this on Friday night. By the way, did I tell you about this new book that I'm reading? It's on anti-gravity. I can't seem to put it down. Ow. Uh, that's probably what's funny the first time. See, I, I've been told that my dad joke need uh, game. It needs work. And so I've, I, I've been told that dads, you typically tell the same jokes over and over and over and over again. So this is my, uh, so anytime you hear me mention gravity, get ready. That one's coming. I'm doing it for my boy. Uh, but the gravitational constant, this is, this is a thing that exists that if the gravitational constant was any stronger or weaker, Life would be impossible, as we know. Like the, the pull of force, the pull of gravity would be impossible. Now, to, to know how infinitesimal the, the de, uh, deviation would have to be, think of a number that's 10 to the 60th power. So that's 10 with 60 zeros. That's this. If, so imagine a dial with notches on it, with that many notches around the dial. If it was moved just one tick in either direction, life as we know it, would be life period would be impossible to have now just to get some grasp get some handles on that number in our bodies we know we got a, we got a, quite a few cells in our body right that number is 10 to the 14 power so it's 10 with just 14 zeros so it's four times over four times bigger this number it's mind-blowing how big that is so god wanted the life the universe to be life permitting because he loves us and wants that for us but he also wants us to experience cool phenomena that point to him as well. One such phenomena is going to be happening tomorrow. Anybody, anybody remember? Eclipse, yeah. It's the solar eclipse tomorrow, right? Interesting thing about the solar eclipse is that by coincidence, we happen to live at a time where we can actually experience this. Some of you might think, well, what? You know, they're the same size in the sky, so that shouldn't be a problem, right? Well, the problem is, is that the, the sun is 400 times bigger than the moon. But 
the moon happens to be, or sorry, but the sun also happens to be 400 times further away from Earth than the moon is. It's a pretty interesting fact, isn't it? And if the sun was any much further away, we'd be too cold. If it was too much closer, we'd burn up. All of these things went into the fact that the sun and the moon are now relatively of equal size in the sky. It's pretty incredible. So much so, a friend of mine, uh, John Morrison, was writing his blog, and he found this quote from British science writer, a guy named John Gribben. He writes, At the present moment of cosmic time, during an eclipse, the disk of the moon almost exactly covers the disk of the sun. In the past, the moon would have looked much bigger and would have completely obscured the sun during eclipses. In the future, the moon will look much smaller from Earth, and a ring of sunlight will be able to... The ring of sunlight will be visible even during an eclipse. It's moving away from the Earth at about an inch and a half a year. Nobody has been able to think of a reason why intelligent beings capable of noticing this oddity should have evolved on Earth just at the time that the coincidence was there to be noticed. It worries me, but most people seem to accept it as just one of those things. The heavens proclaim the glory of the Lord. And the skies display his craftsmanship. So it tells, this tells us that God is a meticulous creator. But it also tells us that God loves beauty. God loves beauty. Sometimes we want to overlook that or we kind of slough it away, but God does love beauty. We've been talking about the stars and that's what our, our passage is, is mainly talking about. But God in his creation has also given us the depths. The depths of the sea. It's also given us the land. Grand Canyon. This is one of the most beautiful places on earth. It's breathtaking. I've yet to experience it, but I, I hear from good sources that it's nice. To the mountaintops and then beyond. This is something called the God of Hand Nebula. It looks Photoshop, doesn't it? Because it, it looks like a hand, but this is from NASA. Not Photoshop, this is real. God of Hand Nebula. If you're ever interested, I have a painting of this in my office, a 3D painting with a, with a hand. But this is the beauty upon beauty upon beauty that we see from the depths of the sea to the farthest stars that God has done because he is beautiful and he loves beauty. Third, it tells us he's here. Uh, actually, I'm going to just back up for one second because one of the things that often people will tell us about beauty is that this is something that's been hardwired, that this is something been put into us and that because of that, for some whatever reason, mating or, or foraging for food or something like that, we would be able to find whatever we need, some sort of evolutionary hardwiredness. But as we, this is a shot from the plane that we are on. Uh, just recently, and as you look out over what you could call Cloud City, it begs a question that we should try to answer is, why do we find that so beautiful? If we're hardwired through blind and pitiless indifference, why would we find that so beautiful? So third, it tells us he's here. Uh, one of my favorite stories is, is the Lord of the Rings, and probably my favorite character in that is, is Samwise, Gamgee. 
one of the things that he was able to do is, is continually help his friend. As him and Frodo were going through the, the tumultuous journey of trying to get the ring of power into Mount Doom, Frodo was always there trying to help lift up Frodo, or sorry, Sam was always there trying to help lift up Frodo's spirits. At one point, they're up in the mountains and, and things are looking very, very bleak for them and they're tired, they're weary, running out of food, things are looking down. And Sam says to Frodo, now you go to sleep first, Mr. Frodo. It's getting dark again. Frodo was asleep almost before the words were spoken. Sam struggled with his own weariness and he took Frodo's hand and there he sat silent until deep night fell. Then at last, to keep himself awake, he crawled from the hiding place. The land seemed full of noises, but there was no sound of voice or of foot. Far above the mountains to the west, the night sky was still dim. But there, peeping among the cloud rack, high above the mountains, Sam saw a white star twinkle for a while. The beauty of it smote his heart as he looked out of that forsaken land and hope returned to him. For like a shaft clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end the shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was light and a high beauty forever beyond its reach. His song in the tower had been of defiance rather than hope, for he was thinking just of himself. Now, for a moment... His own fate and even his master's ceased to trouble him. He crawled back into the brambles and laid himself by Frodo's side, putting away all fear. He cast himself into a deep, untroubled sleep. Brothers and sisters, we are never alone. This week, I got to experience this. As, uh, as I mentioned, it was a tiring trip for us. We came back and uh, we... we came in hot, like, or we got in Monday afternoon, I was here all Monday evening, back all day Tuesday, and, and so by Thursday, or sorry, by Wednesday morning, I was coming in, and the, the, the thoughts of the week were starting to wear me down a little bit, starting to feel a little bit overwhelmed, I knew I was going to be speaking a couple of times, I had all my VBS responsibilities, Caddy had come back sick with a cold, so he wasn't doing too well. Sir and I were both tired and weary, so as I walked into the chapel on Wednesday morning at 6.30, I was feeling pretty low. I was feeling pretty burdened. And then as I walked through the foyer, I saw this. Peaking just above the horizon, the beautiful sunset. picture doesn't do it justice, but it is an explosion of God's beauty. God winking at me and reminding me that he is there. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The sky displays his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. It bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding, and it rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. The sun rises at one end of the heavens. It follows its course to the other end. Nothing can hide from its heat. God made the world so that the world could know God. But knowing this and knowing people, God, in his infinite wisdom, knows that we could possibly misinterpret 
the book of nature, if you will. We can look at these things and, and give somebody else the glory. So he has given us 66 separate books and letters written by people inspired by him in order to help lead the way and in order to help us know him better. Our passage, interestingly enough, is only talking about the first five books, the Torah or the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We have the next 61. But how important are these letters and and how important are these books for us? How important should, should they be? How should we look at them? How closely should we hold to them? How powerful can they be in our lives? There's a gentleman by the name of Ravi Zacharias, and, and he's uh, quite a famous Christian speaker, for those of you who don't know him. And he was ministering in Vietnam in 1971, and he met a guy named Hien Pham. And this was during the war. And then, so he was there for a while, and then he ended up leaving. And then, of course, Vietnam fell and got back into uh, communist regime. Uh, and then years later, Hien called up Ravi, 17 years later, and told him a story that shortly after Vietnam fell, Hien was arrested for what they said helping the Americans because he was interpreter for them and doing things. So they threw him in prison. And it was a horrific place to be for, for anybody, but particularly for someone with Christian beliefs and, and wanting to think about uh, anti-communist beliefs. So they went on to an indoctrination campaign against him each day in Vietnamese and French only, giving him, like keeping away from the, from English, uh, giving him more and more Marxist, uh, anti-democratic, anti-Christian values. They kept pushing these in. So he was inundated with the writings of uh, men like Marx and Engels, day after day after day, punishing him to the point where he came to one day and said, what if this is right? What if I was deceived by the West? And so thinking that maybe my faith has been useless, I've just been wasting my time, tomorrow, no more. Tomorrow I'm not going to pray anymore. So he went to bed that night and got up the next day, and he was given that day's chores, and, and he was given the dreaded prison latrine cleaning duty. So he went in there, clean up the prison bathrooms, and as he was emptying a tin full of toilet paper, used toilet paper, and and cleaning it out, writing in English caught his eye. And so he he quickly grabbed it and washed it, cleaned it up, and, and stuffed it in his pocket so no one else could see. And then that night, as he was laying in bed after his bunk mates all had fallen asleep, he pulled this little scrap of piece of paper out in English, he read Romans chapter 8. Trembling, he began to read. And, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. For I am convinced that nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. As he read this, he and wept wept and wept. He knew his Bible and knew that there was not a more relevant passage who was on for a person that was on the verge of surrender. Because that was the day that he was going to stop praying. That was the day that his faith was gone. 
But God had different ideas. God had a different plan. What his tormentors were using for refuse, the scriptures, could not be more treasured to Hien. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true, each one's fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant, a great reward to those who obey them. God made the world so that the world could know God. So when you think about nature, when you think about that, when you think about outside, when you think about the mountains, do you think about a what or a who? Because if it's a what, so what? But if it's a who, then this passage, what we've been learning today and what we've been talking about, that's teaching us that who cares. Who cares a lot about us. This who cares enough to make the sun shine on us and then gives us detailed notes on how to live right. This who shows us his face, which is something that speaks from beyond our immediate context. Something transcendent. We're enchanted by the beauty of this world and bound then by invisible laws that guide our behavior. But how, how do we interpret them? Our psalmist needed help as well, and and he writes, How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Knows they're there, but how can I know? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So what David's saying is we need the ultimate interpreter. We need someone to come and to teach us, and we need Jesus. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. Through him, all things were created, and by him, all things hold together. But did you know that Jesus also experienced separation? You know that he experienced things just as we do. When he was on the cross, there was a moment when he was forsaken from a relationship that he had been in for eternity. For eternity. He was experiencing judgment day. And while he hung there, he asked this question. He asked, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Tim Keller notes that this question wasn't a rhetorical question. It wasn't just to hang up there and to to ponder. And the answer, of course, to that question is for you. Jesus was forsaken for you. And Jesus was forsaken for me. He was forsaken for us. So we could fully know God. So we could fully know the creator of the universe. So we could fully know that when we look up to the stars, we could say, God made those. Or we can look and read through the pages of the Bible and know that God 
inspired those. God made the world so that we could know God. So to answer that question that we asked in the beginning, why do we feel separation from God sometimes? Well, the answer to that question is, is I don't know. I don't know why we feel separated from God sometimes. That's, that's between us and God. Maybe there's a sin problem that's blocking that way. Maybe we're going through a time of trial. That's something that God and, and you, God and I, need to work through. But what I can tell you is that we can know that God is never actually separated from us. That God is never actually separated from us. If we acknowledge his presence, he is always there, even when we don't feel it. Just like on that Wednesday morning, I sure did not feel God's presence that morning. I didn't feel like God was with me. But when I saw that sunset, it reminded me that, yes, indeed, he was. That God was there. That God is always there. And that should cover comfort us, shouldn't it? So my challenge to you is to ask yourself, what if I read my Bible like it was inspired by the creator of heaven and earth? What if I look up at the sky in wonder like a little child and not make the personal impersonal, but look at it as though it is the wonder that it is? This week I watched that same wonder light up in the faces of so many children as they ran around here, 175 of them, all laid out, screaming and and having a good time and doing motions with their hands to songs that were silly but super fun. And all of that, feeling that wonder over God's love and God's creation. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display His craftsmanship. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end. Nothing can hide from its heat. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What if we all took that to heart? In our lives, what do you think would change? What about the extended, our family, our friends, Oakville, in the world, if we just took that to heart? God made the world so the world could know God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your beautiful, beautiful creation. Thank you for giving us so many ways that we can experience you and know you. The heavens do declare your glory and the skies do display your craftsmanship. It's incredible to be able to be amongst it and to be able to see it. But sometimes we can get distracted, Lord, and, and we need you to help us remember that. Help us remember to look to your word. And most of all, help us look to Jesus as the one, the only Savior that is in our lives. It's called us to follow him wherever he goes, to love you and to love our neighbors. Help us do that well. We pray in your name. Amen.